Here we are at our last episode in the Samson story. The Samson story, Judges 13 through 16, we'll just be in chapter 16 today, is a story of a guy with superhuman strength. It's a story of love and betrayal and violence and the most bizarre kind of stuff you could ever read. I mean, it's, it sounds just like a TV show that's popular right now or a movie that's coming to a theater near you. It's got all the stuff you'd want for an exciting, crazy story right here in Samson. And you remember where we left off last time, Samson had just finished a battle against the Philistines. He had conquered a thousand Philistines. He was dying of thirst. He calls out to God, and God saves him by giving him miraculously water to drink so that he's revived and able to survive that situation. At the end of that story, we're kind of left with this hanging question. Is, is Samson going to change? Because up to this point, Samson's been disregarding God all along. He doesn't care about his vow. He doesn't care about his parents. He's just doing whatever he wants. And we're kind of left at the end of that story saying, is he going to change? Is he going to make a decision to live on the right side of God's grace or not? And we don't have to wait long to find the answer. Judges chapter 16 begins with Samson being in this Philistine town of Gaza. And he goes down to Gaza and he finds a Philistine woman who is a prostitute and he pursues this prostitute. So we know immediately Samson's not changed. In fact, it's going from bad to worse. While Samson is spending time with this prostitute, there's a group in Gaza that makes a plan to kill Samson. Well, Samson foils their plot. In the middle of the night, he wakes up and he goes and he grabs the gates of the city, the doors on the gates. He rips them completely out of the ground, posts and everything, carries those things up to the top of a hill as if to say, you can't touch me, I'm invincible. It's a great display of amazing strength and incredible pride. And answers the question, is Samson changed at all? If anything, he's gotten worse. The next scene, after some time, we see that Samson has fallen in love. The scripture says that Samson loves a Philistine woman named Delilah. Now when you when you think about this story that's coming and all the bizarre stuff that's happened through Samson so far, we're fixing to get into the craziest section of all. And I think it's important to remember the two elements in this story that help us understand crazy. All right, number one is Samson loves Delilah. Anytime you put passion, love in an equation, you can get some crazy. I mean, you think about stories around us. Every day, the craziest of stories are often connected to somebody's explanation of, I love so-and-so, and that's why I did it. I mean, it's, it's nuts. So love can motivate you to do some crazy stuff. So this is a story about love, but it's also a story about brokenness. Samson is completely pursuing sin and rebellion against God. And sin and rebellion against God can deceive the strongest of hearts and create the craziest of actions. Now, you combine passion and depravity, and you have a recipe for crazy. And so when you read this story, just keep reminding yourself, you've got two things going on here, passion and depravity, and that usually results in crazy. And that's what we got here. You can look around in your life and see people's lives. You can see the same kind of stories happening around you every day. But so when we, when we talk through this, just keep in mind, that's what's driving the crazy, and that's why this story is very believable, because of those two elements. So Samson's in love with Delilah, and right in the beginning of the story, the lords of the Philistines, there's five of them, according to Joshua chapter 13, verse 3, there's five lords of the Philistine territory. They come to Delilah and they say, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver 
if you will find out the secret to Samson's strength, because we want to take him out. We want to treat him whatever way we want to treat him. We want to take care of him, and we need the secret, and so we want you to find it. So they offer this exorbitant amount of money, and the saddest thing happens. She betrays Samson, and she says, I would rather have the money than Samson. And so she makes a deal with the lords of the Philistines. She begins to try to get the information from Samson. And it begins by her just saying, will you tell me the secret of your strength? And then Samson makes up a story. He says, if you bind me with undried bowstrings, so sinew of an animal that's like a bowstring, if you bind me in something that's not been dried yet, I'll be weak. And so she binds him up with these bowstrings. Now, I can't visualize what scenario that's happening. Why would he let her do that? And if he was asleep, how could he stay asleep with that going on? I mean, it just doesn't even make sense. I don't know what's going on. It's weird. Depravity and passion, all at work here. And so whatever's going on is weird. And she binds him up, and he breaks through it when she says, the Philistines are upon you, and his strength is completely there. She says, I cannot believe you've lied to me, betrayed me. Now, that is crazy crazy. Isn't that nuts? I can't believe you betrayed me, but I tried to... Anyway, so she begs for him to tell, and he makes up another story. He says, okay, if you bind me in brand new ropes, I'll lose my strength. And so she binds him in ropes. She says, the Philistines are upon you. He breaks out of the ropes. No problem. So she's just devastated. I can't believe you're deceiving me. This is just terrible. Tell me how you... Have your strength. And so he makes up another story. You take the seven locks of my hair and you weave them in this loom and uh, I'll lose my strength. And so while he's sleeping, she takes his hair, weaves it in this loom. And she says, the Philistines are upon you. He pulls the pin out and he's just fine. No problem. And it's, it's at this point in the story that the pace of the story slows way down, which emphasizes, again, importance. So whenever you're reading a story in the Old Testament and the pace of the story slows down to a crawl and you're right in the middle of conversation, you can rest assured there's something significant happening right there so you can understand the point of the story. And so let's read in Judges chapter 16. Let's start in verse 15 where this story slows way down and we're here at the beginning of the fourth story about how Samson has his strength. Then Delilah said to him, how can you say I love you and your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. This is the point where I'm thankful to the Lord Lindley's out of town and that I, and that I should not say anything as a man I'm just going to keep reading verse 17. Here we go. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, A razor has never come on my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. 
When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. So she's convinced he's told the truth, and now she's convincing the lords of the Philistines. And look what happens. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. They were convinced. Everybody was convinced. They finally got the truth. She made him, verse 19, she made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and, and, and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep, and he said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze chains. He was a grinder in prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. So the Philistines have Samson in prison and he is doing hard labor. For some amount of time he does that and it comes to a point where the Philistines are going to have a big celebration. They're going to have a big worship service to their God. And they're going to praise their God Dagon that their God conquered Samson and that their enemy has been conquered. So they're having this big get-together with all the lords of the Philistines and about 3,000 people in this huge building. They're having this big party and they decide they want to bring Samson in to entertain them. So Samson is brought into the building and he asks the person that brings him in, can you put me right in the middle of my hands feel the pillars of this building. So there Samson is his eyes gouged out, his life ravaged, left empty. And he hears the constant mocking of God as they praise Dagon, their false god, for victory over Samson. Look at verse, look at verse uh, 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God. I want to pause right there because right there, Samson uses the name of God that God gave his people to call him. O Lord Yahweh. That's not what he used earlier when he said, I'm a Nazarite to God. Earlier he used this generic term for God. And now that he's calling out on the Lord, he uses a much more personal term for God. He is calling out for God to help him. He says, oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time. Oh God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. Then his brothers and all his father's household came down, took him, brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. Thus he had judged Israel for twenty years. 
Samson pursued everything and anything that he wanted throughout his life, and he got it. And the end of his life, he ended up with nothing. He pursued everything except for God. And because he didn't pursue God, he ended up with nothing. Sin completely ravaged his life. Whatever sin you want to attribute to Samson, whether it's idolatry or lust, whether it's pride or some sort of addiction, whatever you want to attribute to him, any sin that you attribute to Samson or anybody else who's walked in sin, all sin has the same trajectory to rob you of everything you have and destroy you completely. And that's exactly what Samson experienced. He exemplifies the passage in Romans chapter 1 that talks about what happens when you turn your heart away from God. Look at Romans chapter 1 with me. Romans chapter 1 verse 21. Romans 1 21 says, For even though they knew God, Samson knew who God was. God set him apart. His parents had told him about it. They'd raised him to follow God. Look at this, verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. In Samson's case, he worshipped himself. He lived for himself and everything he wanted, and in the end of his life he came up with nothing. It's a terribly sad story when you think of what Samson could have been. In what he ended up being. He had every reason to follow God. He had every opportunity to follow God. In fact, you think about Samson's progression. He's been raised to believe he's set apart from the Lord. His parents have lived in such a way that he walks in this vow. And then when he's on his way, he wants to get married to a Philistine woman. His parents said, this is not a good idea for the people of God. And Samson says, I don't care. That's what I want. And I want you to get her for me. What happens? Nothing. He doesn't lose his strength. Angel of the Lord doesn't show up and say, Samson, you shouldn't do that. Nothing happens. So Samson goes and gets what he wants, and he thinks nothing is happening when he pursues what he wants and doesn't pursue the Lord. There's no reason to think anything else. On the way down to his wedding, he meets up with a lion and tears it in two. He's got all the strength that God had promised him. He's making his way back down there for that wedding and he sees the dead carcass of that lion and the vow that he's under says you can't touch anything dead. And what does he do? He goes and touches the dead carcass and he scoops honey out of that carcass and he eats this unclean honey. He's just violating the law and the vow over and over again. And what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. He picks up a a fresh jawbone of a donkey, another part of a carcass, again, breaking the vow, and he slays a thousand Philistines with it. In his mind, he's like, nothing matters. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm Samson. I can do whatever I want to do because I'm Samson. I'm just going to do it. And he just keeps breaking the vow one time after another. Nothing happens. When he tells Delilah, you can bind me up with sinew. What is he saying? You can get another piece of a dead carcass and touch me with it because it doesn't matter. The vow is irrelevant. 
Nothing happens. He breaks through that, no problem. Then he tells Delilah, you can cut my hair. That's the secret to my strength. But what does Samson do the moment he wakes up? He says to himself, I will break myself free and I'll be just fine. Why? Because Samson has bought into a lie that you can live whatever way you want to live, pursue whatever you want to pursue without a pursuit of God, and it's not going to cost you anything. But the reality is that the road of sin and brokenness will leave you empty. And at some point along that road, the grace and the mercy of God runs out. What Samson should have recognized along the way is the only reason that sin was not bankrupting his life as he turned away from God and pursued everything and anything but God, the only reason that it didn't bankrupt his life immediately is because God in His grace and mercy was holding back the promises of sin so that Samson might return and still be what God intended him to be. But Samson wouldn't do it. He didn't return. And the grace and the mercy of God ran out, and he lost everything. He lost his strength. He lost his wife. He lost the next love of his life. He lost his eyes. He lost his family. He lost everything. You cannot escape the devastation of sin. You cannot escape it. If you choose to live a life of disregarding God, the grace and the mercy of God will at some point run out. I know a lady named Sandra. Her story makes the Samson story for me very believable because I saw her live the Samson story. When she was 23 years old, she came to trust Christ as her Lord and Savior. She had not grown up in church. She would never really heard about it. She heard about it. She says, I want to follow Christ. And she begins to respond to the grace of God and follow Christ and grow in Christ. And for the next 10 years, she's walking with the Lord. But somewhere along the way, towards the end of that 10 years, she began to flirt with sin. For her, she began to pay attention to the affections of someone outside her marriage. Somebody was paying attention to her, showing her extra attention she wasn't getting from her husband. She, she got experience of accolades and rewards in the workplace that she wasn't feeling at home. And she began to entertain things that for her she knew was sinful. But what she discovered is that just a little bit of sin along the way really doesn't affect her life negatively. In fact, some of the things in her life actually felt a little bit better. And so just, she just let that little bit of sin she's flirting with go unchecked in her life. And she just kind of bought into another way of living her life so that in the next few years, she made steps towards a wholesale walking down the road of sin. And by the time she was 36, she had completely turned her back on the Lord. I don't want to walk with the Lord. I don't want to be married to this man. I don't want to be in this family. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I want to go at whatever, after whatever I want. And that's exactly what she did. And I'm going to tell you right now, if I told you all the things I know about this woman's life, it, it compares to the bizarre life of Samson. Because you got passionate depravity 
as a recipe for crazy. And it takes her down a road that she can't even see. If you had asked Sandra when she was 23 if she wanted to end up at 57 dead in her rebellion and sin, she'd have told you, I never, ever want to be there. If you'd have asked Samson when he was a little kid and his parents told him about what kind of calling God had played on his life, do you want to end up in the Philistine temple? Bound, your eyes gouged up, completely broken and empty. He said, no way, I don't want to end up that way. I want to follow Christ. I want to be the hero of Israel. He didn't want to get there, but what happened? He pursued everything and anything except God, and it ravaged his life. And that's exactly what Sandra did. And for the 20 years she walked in that, she got further and further into brokenness. And eventually, the grace and the mercy of God ran out, and she lost everything. I'm thankful she cried out to the Lord. And I'm thankful he heard her cry. But it was too late. She had so wrecked her life that she died not long after crying out to the Lord. And Sandra's funeral was one of the saddest funerals I've ever been to in my life. Because her life should not have been that way. Before she died, she told me. She said, Kevin, whenever you want to tell that story, you tell my story. Because maybe it will help some people not walk down the road I walked down. And they might avoid the devastation that I brought on myself. I tell you that story because that story makes me understand the Samson story. And that story is about my mom. So when I read Samson and I, I live through my mom's life, what I want to do is be a person who has a different story. I don't want that story, do you? I don't want the story that is said of me. He went after everything in life except God. And he came up with absolutely nothing. I don't want the story to be said of you or to be said of me that the only way our lives were salvaged is in our death God used us even though in our life we wasted it on sin. That doesn't need to be anybody's story in this room. We can all have a better story because simply there is no way to escape sin and its emptiness and brokenness. You can't outwit it. You can't escape it except by believing and following Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. That's the only way to escape it. But that's the message of hope in this story. You heard the moment of devastation in the story. The Lord left Samson and he didn't even know it. That's what sin will do to you. But then you heard the element of hope. His hair began to grow again. As if to say, God is still there. He's still there listening for Samson to cry out. And when Samson cried out, God was already listening. The great hope in this story for you and me is that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is always listening for our cry. He is listening. No matter what you've done, 
No matter who you've been, God is already listening for that moment you cry out. And if you're in this place, you should understand this moment as a clear extension of God's grace and mercy to you, holding back the promise of sin to ravage your life, holding back the devastation and brokenness of rebellion so that you might turn your heart to Jesus Christ and be delivered of your sin. Jesus Christ is holding back the devastation of sin from your life in this moment so that you might respond to Him. He's ready for you to call out to Him. He wants you to call out. If, if God would listen to Samson, I mean, think about Samson. He didn't pay attention to God his whole life, and yet God was ready to listen to him. And when Samson cried out, even after God had left him, God was still listening for Samson to cry out. When Samson cried out, God listened. I want to tell you this morning, no matter who you are, where you've been, God is ready to hear your cry. And I want to urge you to cry out to the Lord, to not delay one moment longer, to not go down the path of sin for one second longer, but instead today to cry out to the Lord and turn your heart fully to Him. You think of little Samson as a little boy. Don't you know he heard the story that his dad told? Samson, you're never going to believe what happened to your mom and me. The angel of the Lord showed up, told us all about you, what you were going to do for the Lord, and how we needed to raise you. We were freaking out about that, and I asked the Lord if He'd send back some help. And he answered my prayer and he sent back help and he told us more about how to take care of you. Son, if you'll call out on the Lord, he'll listen. He cares about you. He heard that his whole life and he waited till the end of his life to call out on the Lord. Don't be like that. Samson had to wait until his eyes were gouged out before he was willing to see his need to call out on God. Samson's death was the only time his life really, really counted. You don't want that story. It all depends upon whether or not you call out on God. See, the problem with Samson is not whether or not God was listening. It was whether or not Samson was listening to God. God was always listening and ready. The question was, was Samson listening? On this 4th of July weekend, I can tell you that I'm really concerned about our country. I'm concerned that religious freedom is being threatened. I'm concerned that life is being marginalized. I'm really deeply grieved that our culture is seeking to redefine marriage and gender and all kind of craziness is going on right now. It grieves me. And as much as I want to see a Supreme Court that listens to God, as much as I want to see a president that listens to God, as much as we should pray for those things, I want to tell you right now that the solution for our country begins right here in this room. Will we listen to God? Are you going to listen to Him? Jesus Christ says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his very soul? Samson had everything and ended up with nothing because he did not listen to God. Please, listen to God. If you're here this morning, you've never made the decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to ask Him to forgive you of your sins, cry out to the Lord. He will save you. If you're here this morning, you've made that decision, but you know, if you were to ask the Lord right now, Lord, search my heart and see if there's any offensive way in me, that the Lord would say, you've been flirting with some sin here. You've been pretending like you can do life without me. It's not going to work out. I'm, I'm holding back the effects of the sinfulness of your heart, even though it's just a little dabbling, a little flirting on the way, so you can respond to my grace and mercy by coming back to me with your whole heart. 
Call out to the Lord in repentance. Turn your heart fully back to Him. This is the day that you should respond because this is the moment where His grace and mercy is most evident and you can call out on Him. Please. Please. Where's Emily? Where is she? Emily, thank you for what you shared. We want you to have a life of following Christ. And I have one more moment in your life where you don't follow Him. But here's what you did for all of us. You helped us see that we all need that, right? We all want to be in that place of saying, I don't want to ever be in that place of not paying attention to God again. For the rest of my life, I want to follow Him. And I love it when a young lady stands up like that and has her whole life before her. But I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter how many years you think you have before you, this is the moment that God's extending grace for you to return to Him for His glory. Let's be about a better story. Amen.